I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberland. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thanks so much for joining us. How have you been? How's your past month? Been very good. Thank you, Mike. Great to be with you, Mary. I hope uh, you've had a blessed month. It's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Things are moving right along. So a big a big thing that's happened this month is you announced in February that the general dispensation from our obligation to attend Mass was to expire on March 13th. But there are still particular dispensations for those in need. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that means? Who's obligated to go to Mass? Who still has dispensation? Mary, the, uh, the listing of the dispensations is easily found on the uh, Archdiocesan website. But uh, in general, uh, the principle behind this is that those who are uh, more particularly at risk uh, or feel themselves at risk uh, because of the virus uh, continue to be dispensed. That would be people with, for example, people with uh, uh, health problems that make them particularly vulnerable, those who have to take care of them. So. Um, it, it's an attempt to offer uh, those reasonable exceptions. But in fact, uh, we're all obliged to observe the Lord's Day. And uh, when we can, uh, to be present for the Holy Eucharist as the center part of the Lord's Day. And so uh, the way I've gone about articulating the norm is an attempt to uh, uh, turn what the moral truth into a, a, a principle of action. Hmm. That helps Are to sh- answer the question why we have an obligation. So our obligation, why is it so central? And I know we've been through this a little bit, but if you can remind us, what does why is Mass so central to a Catholic's life? It's about as central as uh, a husband and wife coming home at the end of the workday. <laughs> it's about relationship. <laughs> yeah. uh, marriage is a covenant. Being a disciple of Jesus is a covenant in the church. And to keep a covenant alive, uh, you have to stay in relationship. We owe God uh, this this worship. Uh, mm. And uh, he blesses us and deepens our communion with him. And what we, what we celebrate is the Holy Eucharist. Uh, it's, uh, it's like the same, very much the obligation we have to eat. Uh, if you don't yeah. do it, you'll starve to death. Man. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's pretty basic. You know, I know um, you kind of mentioned that you can reference the website and everything, Archbishop, but uh, what, does someone, uh, what should someone do if they're not sure if they're dispensed or not? Um, well, how should they approach that? I think the call the parish priest and ask uh, him his advice about how to apply the norm mm. uh, to one's own particular life. Uh, a a good rule of thumb is what are the other things I'm out and about doing and feel safe doing? Uh, Are there comparable things that uh, uh, to being at mass that I'm also engaged in? That's a good idea to talk to 
your own kind of spiritual shepherd at your parish to kind of tease out some of these things. Because I know a lot of us, some of us are, are trying to strike a balance between, you know, safety, but then this, this desire to worship the Lord on Sundays. And so some of us can kind of get in the weeds a little bit with scrupulosity about which way God wants us to go. So uh, maybe talking to somebody would help with that. Does very much, and it's not. This is a, a good example of uh, conscience formation in general. Um, the church, uh, in her wisdom, especially in uh, discussions that have uh, evolved over centuries from people like Saint Alphonsus Liguri, uh, want us to avoid both rigorism and laxism. Uh, God, God's moral law is a challenge to us always to grow but it's not uh, something uh, so great that it's impossible to, to live up to uh, because we have his grace. And uh, if a person, a good rule of thumb is if a person is honestly committed to even avoid venial sin, then you can have a, a, a good level of confidence in your own conscience. You know, Archbishop, with Masses, uh, with the dispensation ending, I know, um, I just didn't know if you've heard much from your parish uh, priests and, and their parishioners about people returning to Mass uh, this past month, how, how that's gone for them, uh, or if just any feedback that you've heard. How's that gone so far? Well, anecdotally, uh, people do seem to be coming back and uh, be very appreciative about it. I offered uh, Holy Mass in the cathedral on Sunday, and it was great to see uh, so many people there was quite quite noticeable increase in uh, in attendance. It's funny to think of at this time last year, we were discussing just a few short weeks from now what it was like for you as an archbishop to celebrate Mass and look at an empty church. So it has to be kind of nice to see faces again celebrating community. It is uh, something that I give God praise and thanks for, yes. Mm. Yeah. It's funny, we won't take that for granted anymore. I don't think that's one of the huge <laughs> blessings from the, the pandemic year. We went to Mass on Sunday at our church where we've been worshiping. I thought it was really cool. Right in the beginning of the Mass, they had someone before Mass had even started who stood up and welcomed people back and also spoke to some of the safety precautions that the church was taking to kind of put people at ease. And I thought that was a good way to approach it, right? Yes, uh, I mean, and, and I know that uh, there are some people who find these safety precautions onerous, but oh. uh, the ones that when we do these reasonable things, uh, as difficult as they may be for one or another person, they're acts of charity. Mm. Uh, St. Paul gave us a good example when he wrote to the Corinthians that uh, there were certain practices that uh, really were licit for the Christians in Corinth, but uh, sometimes it, these uh, doing these things made it difficult for uh, fellow disciples of a tender conscience. And Paul said, well, then we have to avoid them because mm. uh, ho holding the, the family together is the more important thing. Oh. I like that you said that. I've considered that too. You know, when I, one of the things that's challenging, of course, on with mass on Sunday is having all my kids keep their masks on. And sometimes I'm frustrated by that. But what I always try to remember, though, is that if it makes somebody else who's sitting two rows in front of us feel safer, then it's worth it, right, to make them feel welcome and, and safe in, in God's house worshiping. That's, it's an act of charity. Yes. Yeah, such a good way to put it. 
Cool. Well, I am excited about today's podcast topic. Um, On December 8th of 2020, Pope Francis declared that this year would be the year of St. Joseph. Um, This has been really a a personal uh, pilgrimage for me of sorts as we've kind of entered into this year of St. Joseph. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Um, If you can explain to us briefly, what is the year of St. Joseph? Well, it's uh, the designation by the Holy Father to ask all of us pay particular attention to St. Joseph's intercession for us, uh, his prayers on our our behalf, his uh, communion with us in the Christian life, and uh, his example to us of uh, how to be a good disciple, how to be a faithful disciple. It's it's a year of focus, a particular year of focus to uh, bring into the foreground what is uh, perhaps in the background in some people's uh, uh, prayer life and uh, devotional life. For our listeners who might not have read it, along with announcing the year of St. Joseph, Pope Francis had a letter called Patris Corday. Can you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what the Holy Father teaches in that and some of the wisdom that we can glean from it? It's a, a very easy read, Mary. Uh, people can find it on the, the Vatican website. Actually, if you uh, simple Google, go to your search engine and write uh, Pope Francis St. Joseph in, it'll uh, the uh, link will come up. But it's basically a meditation on the various aspects of uh, St. Joseph's uh, fatherhood. St. Joseph as a courageous father, St. Joseph as a dutiful father, St. Joseph as, as a, man, a father who believed. Uh, and uh, it, it's a beautiful meditation on the, the fatherly heart and soul of St. Joseph. Archbishop, I was wondering, what can you, what do you feel after reading the document that we uh, specifically can learn from the example of St. Joseph, even especially today? And why do you think maybe Pope Francis chose this year uh, of all years to really focus in on um, St. Joseph? I think it's particularly this year because uh, of COVID, it seems, is one of the motives for him to hold St. Joseph up for us, because St. Joseph went about his duty, uh, his vocation, in a time of trial, in a time of uncertainty, personal uncertainty. And he, he you know, uh, doesn't say this in the Pope's letter, but when I read it, I thought, yeah, he was taking care of business. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's a consolation for us in a time of uncertainty, yeah. to simply be about doing our duty. I think that's a, a, a big piece of it. And St. Joseph is also not only the the uh, model for us, he's also the great protector of the church. Mm. And there are a, a lot of uh, pitfalls on the pilgrim path of the church these days. Is there a particular quality or uh, characteristic of St. Joseph that you, maybe even in, as your role as our Archbishop, have leaned into or really prayed with to kind of strengthen up your particular vocation? It was St. Joseph's readiness to uh, alter mm-hmm. his course uh, as soon as uh, God gave him an indication that uh, things needed to be different from the way he thought they would be. Uh, you know, he, he was engaged, he was betrothed to the Virgin Mary. He had, like any man would, I presume, expectations for what that life would be like, and uh, God uh, scrambled it. 
uh, he, he redefined what it would mean to be the husband of Mary mm. and to lead that household. And he, he went, he abandoned himself into God's plan. So that's one thing. And the other one I, I find uh, fascinating and it means a lot to me is uh, what uh, Joseph did in uh, escaping from Bethlehem and taking the family into Egypt. Um, I'm not, uh, this is one of the things I'm going to ask him, please God, when I go to heaven. What was, well, what did that feel like? I mean, that's what a man would be most concerned about is protecting his family, guarding them. And uh, he has to face this terrible threat. You know, can very well imagine uh, both the ups and downs, the highs and lows of that, as we might say, oh. his fear about uh, betraying his trust, and yet his confidence uh, that God was with him and guiding him uh, to do his job to protect uh, the child Jesus and his mother. It's funny, I'm reading, uh, which I know a lot of people are, I'm doing the um, Consecration to St. Joseph, and there's a book that's associated with it with a lot of uh, just teachings and readings of things that the saints have said. And I realized I had never really considered what the flight to Egypt looked like and the fact that they had to, as a family, figure out how to eat and how to live and how to exist. You know, in my mind, it's like, well, they went to they went to Egypt and then they ended up back at Bethlehem, you know, but it's, it's kind of beautiful to let my imagination think about that time. It makes it a, a real uh, experience, mm -hmm. a human experience in our own imagination and something then that we can connect with. I mean, I, I don't know, Mary, that you've ever had to fly to Toledo <laughs> with your family, but, uh, but there are, I mean, you think about the, the, uh, U-turns that you've had to make. Uh, uh, I, I presume it's not unheard of that you've had to uh, uh, get in the car and right. go to the emergency room. Yeah. Maybe, you know, th those are all the same, very much similar right. experiences. And that this unfolded in the life of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph uh, reminds us that God can, is at work in mm -hmm. these things, in these realities that uh, uh, seem so challenging to us. Well, right. they are challenging. Uh, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not the sort of the, the acts of devotion that we particularly set aside, but they are ways for us to be devoted to God. And to me, this is uh, the great proof uh, evidence of the rightness of, of Jesus as our Redeemer, that he doesn't just grace us and redeem us in moments of uh, liturgical prayer or uh, personal devotion, but he has created by his death and rising a means to transform even the, the ordinary, often even sad, difficult moments of life into times of grace. There isn't any moment of human existence that's beyond the transformation of the Holy Spirit. God has not had to make a treaty with the, the devil and give him even one half of 1% of human existence. That's pretty profound. I know, and I was, I was preparing for um, today's recording, 
and, and reading the, uh, the Pope's letter myself a little bit, like you, Mary, I think my imagination started to just kind of go away with me. And, and one of the references is this idea of kind of in the shadows and often overlooked as St. Joseph is. And as I was reading it, it was kind of bringing to light all those, you know, the flight to Egypt. And I, my imagination started running wild with all the life that he led and the things that he had to do and the choices he had to make. And as you said, Archbishop had to kind of get things done. And um, it just gave me a new appreciation for St. Joseph. Um, being such a silent saint, letting Jesus take the four, but uh, but how pivotal he was in the whole plan. And um, I know it was really very, very, very cool. And I almost wish there was a, like, I almost wanted to write, like, as a yeah, screenwriter, right. you know, I almost wanted to, like, write a story that would make a movie, because I wanted to see a movie about him, essentially, when I was reading this, you know? Um, but especially that shadow, the person in the shadow is getting things done. And um, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. What do you think about uh, that, Archbishop? You think similar? Well, oh, no, no. And I'm going to really go out on a limb here and tell you about uh, something that uh, I meditate on. And it's based on my own experience of uh, boys uh, uh, modeling themselves after their dads. Uh, I don't know if you notice, uh, it seems pretty clear to me that uh, most uh, boys have the same kind of intonation mm -hmm. when they talk. They... they have the cadence of their dad mm -hmm. when they walk, they have the gait of their dad, uh, they have the same sense mm -hmm. of humor. Yeah. It, it's really about modeling. And so by the laws of the incarnation, the ordinary dimensions of uh, human existence, uh, so much of the way our Lord behaved uh, would have been modeled on what he picked up from yeah. uh, looking yeah. at his foster father. Yeah. And I particularly think about the uh, road to Emmaus when it says they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Now, at one level, that's very much clearly about the Holy Spirit uh, opening their eyes. But how many times on the Sabbath had Jesus seen Joseph break the bread mm -hmm. at their family meal? Hmm. And uh, wouldn't he have had the same way of handling the bread, saying the blessing, as uh, he had been, uh, as he modeled himself after after Saint Joseph? So, in some sense, I think it's fair enough, at least uh, in my pious imagination, uh, to think about uh, Jesus as the incarnate Word, uh, in some ways, very specifically incarnating mm. the example of Joseph. That's mm. really beautiful. And that's kind of like the journey that I feel that I've been on this year so far with St. Joseph is kind of a deepening of my own knowledge of the mystery of Jesus, who he was, both in his humanity and divinity, as seen through his father. I know one of the things that has kind of been referenced a couple mm. times during this year of St. Joseph is that, and Mike, you said it too, kind of St. Joseph has been in the shadows and there's been a deepening of our theology around him in the church. Um, on December 8th, when this year was announced, it was also the 150th anniversary of when Pius IX declared St. Joseph the patron of the universal church. What does that mean? Do you think that the church is maybe awakening more to our need for St. Joseph's example? How do you see all that playing out? Well, Pius IX made this... Uh direction at a time when the church was still struggling to come back from the French Revolution, uh, trying to find her way in the modern world, the post-French Revolutionary world, and so uh, held up St. Joseph 
as the patron of the church, the protector of the church, because the church is uh, the extended holy family of God mm. the Father. We are the brothers and sisters of Christ. Mary's our mother, so Joseph is our protector as well. And I think uh, the Holy Father sees that this is a time of great challenge for the church, and uh, he wants us to look to Joseph uh, for a support and uh, to be able to benefit from his prayers for us. I know, um, like you said earlier, Archbishop, I think you said one of the impetus uh, or reasons for Pope Francis to, to bring this to the fore again, not only the 150th anniversary, but also this time of pandemic, um, and kind of a recognition of those people who play such a crucial role during the pandemic, the people in the shadows. What's the term that we call them nowadays, right? The, the essential, that's the word, yeah, the essential workers. Uh, and of course, Joseph, we think of as a worker. Um, there's something really cool in that as far uh, as a choice that Pope Francis made to do that in this time. What are your thoughts on that, Archbishop? Do you think that was uh, obviously specifically chosen? And I don't know, does that give you kind of a sense of hope and appreciation for the ordinary folks? I think it is, uh, you know, there, there are no, uh, how to put it, in, in, the, in the Christian life, there are no uh, unessential actors. Uh. Uh, we all play uh, a pivotal role in our own drama of salvation, and that's part of the good news. Uh, nobody's an extra, nobody's uh, uh, expendable. You know, one way <clears throat> I try to be attentive to my neighbor is to think about how even the person ahead of me in line at uh, the grocery store is uh, somebody that Jesus has judged worthy of the last drop of his blood. And uh, uh, I, might, I may never see that person again uh, until, please God, we're in heaven together and we'll get to be very best friends. That's a beautiful thought, yeah. You know, Archbishop, I, I just know, even before this year was announced, um, you know, what kind of role did St. Joseph play for you personally? Has he been uh, a, a pretty predominant saint in your own life and, and prayer? Um, or maybe not so much? Maybe there's been other saints that have played more of that role for you? Um, I don't know. Just a, did you reflect and think about St. Joseph much in your previous to this year? Well, he's one of my patrons, uh, but particularly uh, he is, for me, a great guide about... Uh, my own celibacy, that, uh, you know, he found the fulfillment of his uh, being a father and being a husband, those dimensions of his life in a way that were very different from the ordinary. Mm. Uh, and uh, to me, he's a great example of uh, God's grace of uh, celibate living. That's an interesting thing, too, how we can all kind of take in a very personal way the example of St. Joseph, because, as you said, for celibate living, he's an incredible example for religious and for priests, but then also he was a father and a, and a husband, so we can all kind of have this deep personal connection to him, maybe in a really unique way to the other saints that we can rely on and ask for intercession. And uh, another way I think about St. Joseph is as an intercessor that uh, he certainly must be very powerful before mm -hmm. the throne mm -hmm. of his foster mm -hmm. son. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So do you know of anything, or what has the archdiocese done so far for this year of St. Joseph? What are the movements happening? Well, we have a lot of things on the website inviting people to the 33 days of consecration. And uh, I just got some statistics. Over 6,000 people are following that. And uh, 
there is only one parish in the archdiocese where we don't have someone uh, following that consecration. Oh, that's amazing. Then there are parishes that have their own uh, particular uh, um, advance or, or uh, devotions to St. Joseph in these days, not least uh, the oratory of St. Joseph on uh, uh, downtown, out right off of Gratiot. But uh, the website is the best place to look to see what's available. That 33-day consecration has been so powerful for me. I'm doing it along with my sisters, and we've kind of we keep talking about the way that, you know, I've I've prayed the litany of Saint Joseph before, but the way that each day is opened up to really help us enter into these titles of Saint Joseph and to understand these characteristics of him, it's really like it's quite profound what it's doing in my own spiritual life, and I know the spiritual lives of so many people that are doing it together, you know, and so many of us are going to uh, actually do the consecration this Friday, which is or you'll probably be listening to the recording, our listeners, afterwards, but uh, we're recording it a little bit before, but March 19th is the day of consecration for many of us, and I'm so excited. Like, I'm looking forward to that day like a holiday. I can't wait. You know, you know as we talk about this grace of uh, St. Joseph, I mean, the, the, what, the gifts that God gave to Joseph were certainly uh, for him to be able to serve Jesus and Mary, but they're gifts for all of us. St. Paul makes that very clear. Every charism, every outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for the good of all the members in the body. Uh, here's a, a, a grace or a dimension of this grace that has struck me, is that uh, for, for catechists and people who are, <coughs> pardon me, engaged in the work of formation, uh, St. Joseph can be a, a grace to help those we, we are forming, we're accompanying uh, toward Christian maturity, uh, a grace for them to understand the vocation of being a father. I, from all I read, that's a big challenge today. And uh, especially since it, the universal call to holiness for most people is being a father, being a, uh, a husband, being a wife, being a mother, I think uh, in catechesis, in Christian formation, this is a, a very important uh, uh, challenge. Yeah, I know, not even, um, and, and, and being a father, obviously, um, in multitude of ways. I know that, uh, from what I understand, one of the novenas, there's a specific novena to pray to St. Joseph in connection with foster care and adoption. Uh, obviously, he himself gone through that uh, position himself, um, which is really cool and interesting that it, it's like, like you said, Mary earlier, like he just really touches, uh, because of his celibacy, but because of his fatherhood, because of adoptive fatherhood, uh, he just touches a lot of layers for so many of our faithful, which is really cool. I know as far as the, the consecration goes too, um, you know, I, I've, I've heard from Mary that it's excellent, and I know that the, the day of the actual cell, uh, coming up, I know myself, I haven't done so, but, uh, after reading this and, um, reflecting with it, I know you know, obviously for our, for our people listening, it's not too late. It doesn't have to be done within that time frame. I know it's uh, the consecration and the novena are, are things that can be done um, throughout any time of this year, you know? So, and that leads to this next question I wanted to ask you, Archbishop, is there anything else, um, other thoughts from you on how people, the faithful can observe this year of St. Joseph uh, in the coming months? Um, any, any thoughts or special requests from you from our, from our faithful? Well, I think your, your point is very well taken that uh, while we're coming, uh, you know, the 19th of March is the so uh, solemnity of St. Joseph, uh, uh, the uh, 
days of uh, consecration, the, a novena, these can be done at any time that the Holy Spirit moves someone to uh, engage in it. Um, so I would encourage people to uh, follow their inspiration uh, if, uh, w whenever that occurs. Uh, whatever, whenever you're moved is the right time to have been moved, I think would uh, put it simply. And for myself, uh, I think uh, pray for me and uh, pray for all my brother priests that we be good fathers. It's amazing how many different kind of prayers and uh, novenas and uh, movements there are to incorporate the intercession of St. Joseph in our lives. I know I'm doing one called the uh, the novena to the, the Holy Cloak of St. Joseph, and I've been praying that it's a 30-day novena to um, and I'm praying it kind of just entrusting our family and the, the direction of our family to the intercession of St. Joseph, that he opens up doors that need to be opened that help our families walk in holiness. You know, so I think it's it's well worth spending some time to see where St. Joseph can deepen or illuminate your family's faith. And it's neat to see that this year has been kind of ordained by Pope Francis to do so. Oh, I was just going to say, Mary, there you know, a, a good principle is in the Catholic Church, there's something for everybody, right. but everybody doesn't have to do everything. Yes. And people should trust their own, uh, after after people yeah. do the basics, you know, do do what's a, a, a obligatory mm -hmm. to all of us. Uh, people should pay attention mm -hmm. to their inspirations. God, the Holy Spirit knows uh, the particular uh, path mm -hmm. within the road that is right for each of us. And so he inspires us to, uh, to pick up a book or to connect with one saint or another, one devotion or another, and uh, to have a freedom to, to follow out those inspirations. Because uh, if a person is uh, committed to living the Christian life, has a commitment to even avoid venial sin, uh, those inspirations are generally uh, reliable. So is there anything else you want to add on this topic on the year of St. Joseph time, kind of as a reminder and encouragement to the faithful as we live this reality? Just that uh, to uh, be connected to Joseph uh, has a very strong pedigree. Some wonderful saints, great saints, have uh, found this uh, connection to St. Joseph uh, uh, very, very significant in their lives, not least uh, St. Teresa of, uh, of Jesus, Teresa of Avila. She actually is one of the people responsible for uh, helping move St. Joseph from the shadows into the foreground. Fantastic. Each month we have an opportunity to invite the faithful to ask any questions that may have about their faith or even personal questions to you, Archbishop Ignorant. If you're listening and you might have a question, feel free to email it to eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. Make sure to include your name, your parish, and of course, your question. Our first question comes from Chris at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Livonia. Chris asks, what advice would you give to men discerning priesthood who might find being single a stumbling block to pursuing this vocation? Uh, my, my basic advice is to present oneself quietly to the Lord, give him some uh, significant silent time, preferably in front of uh, uh, the Blessed Sacrament, and tell him that uh, you feel attracted to the priesthood 
but that you're afraid about the idea of uh, imitating his celibacy and ask him to illuminate your life and uh, give you the generosity to even sacrifice home and wife and kids if that's what he's asking you to do. Uh, basically, you're only going to find out if this is a call for you if you give God a, a, a blank check. God doesn't mm. negotiate. <laughs> Uh, he will show you his will if you uh, are ready to accept it. Um, and uh, he, he can make this possible. That's the way to go into it. Uh, and if, if a man is inclined to the priesthood but is very clear that uh, celibacy is not his call, then in fact he doesn't have a call mm. to the priesthood. God's not going to set man up for that kind of, uh, of frustration. Right. But the question has to be, can I find, Lord, you know, ask, don't ask oneself, ask the Lord, Lord, is it your will, your plan for me that I find the fulfillment of my need uh, for love, my need to be a spousal, my need to be uh, a father? Is it your will that I find that by imitating the celibacy of your son. I'd imagine that's a question that many young men and even older men have as they discern priesthood that you've probably had to talk to quite a few young men about, right? Yes, and Mary, it's not something that just is resolved before seminary. Yeah. It's a question that has to be uh, asked repeatedly, uh -huh. reviewed again and again. Mm. And uh, in the seminary formation, we encourage a, a regular review of that mm. so that by the time a man presents himself for the diaconate, uh, he has come to a clear sense that this is God's uh, gift to him. And if he, if, it's, if he doesn't think that it's a gift that he can embrace, uh, we don't want him to be a priest. Right. I don't want a priest who's going to be bitter and frustrated right. uh, mm. about having made this gift. Sure. Well, our next question is actually from Kathy at St. John Newman in Canton. And Kathy asks, if someone approached and said he was Jesus Christ, how would you discern if it were true? And if you determined it was Jesus, what is the first thing you would say or do? Mike, as I hear this question, I wonder if it wouldn't be better to think in terms of, uh, more useful to think in terms of discerning all of one's own spiritual experiences. Hmm. Uh, Saint Ignatius Loyola, uh, codified some of the wisdom uh, of the saints about this, the rules of discernment. Uh, one of the most uh, uh, important rules is that uh, one will never be uh, given experiences by the Holy Spirit which contradict the, the teachings of the church or lead one to be disobedient to, to one's own pastors. So that would be a very important rule. and. Uh, if uh, one needs also in, in, for extraordinary spiritual experiences, uh, one should uh, speak to, to her or his confessor about what's going on and get some, uh, some light to see mm. what might be happening uh, in, in your life. Uh, we don't, the church doesn't rule out extraordinary experiences uh, from mm -hmm. uh, in every age in the church. There are people who have uh, extraordinary visions, uh, 
messages from the Lord. We think of somebody like uh, St. Faustina. Uh, think of somebody like uh, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, uh, St. Therese. But uh, one needs to be very docile when, mm -hmm. uh, with one's uh, inspirations and uh, present them, start with, with the confessor and present them to the church. Mm. That's useful advice, I think, in discernment of our own prayer lives. Our last question comes from Lisa at St. Michael the Archangel in Livonia. I'm excited about this question. She asks, what is your vision for how families of parishes will be implemented in the Archdiocese of Detroit to the greatest benefit of all God's people? What does success look like? You can take this in stages, and the ultimate stage of what success will look like is uh, when uh, all the people of the Archdiocese of Detroit are put on the right hand of the judge yeah. uh, among the sheep yeah. and said, right. well done, Preach. good and faithful servants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is the real measure of success in the life of the church. Yeah. A more immediate yeah. measure, uh, and yet still long-term, is the presence of uh, uh, people at the Holy Eucharist. That really is when we know that our efforts are bearing uh, a, a fruit that we hope for. Another measure is uh, not uh, an immediate measure is uh, the involvement of the faithful in the work of, uh, of evangelization. Uh, people inviting their neighbors, their friends, uh, their sons, their daughters, their fathers, their mothers uh, to join them uh, in discipleship and join them in, in the Holy Eucharist. A very close measure uh, of what uh, families of parishes will look like is when uh, the teams of pastors and their uh, lay co-workers are formed and, and get going and are able to move from uh, reorganizing themselves to using the reorganized uh, uh, vehicle, the, the reorganized life uh, to uh, totally dedicate themselves yeah. to the mission. I'm so excited about it. I know certain things have been rolling out, and anytime I get to talk to anybody that works for the church or priests, I, I just think there's so much potential there. It's so clearly a movement of the Spirit. So as we've started some of these steps, are you seeing some fruits coming already from the conversations people are having? I know there's tensions with it, but is it is it going in the direction that you want to see? Yes, it is, Mary. Uh, we did a... a a polling of the, the priests. We've been doing monthly Zoom meetings, and uh, I don't know if it was the last one or the one before last. Uh, uh, we asked the priests their own feelings about this, and uh, uh, over 90% were uh, positive about it. Now, the, the majority of that 90% sure. had some misgivings, and that's quite yeah. uh, understandable. Uh, we're going into uncharted territory. I don't expect that the Israelites cross the Red Sea <laughs> with uh, everything, uh, without a little anxiety <laughs> right. of what was mm -hmm. on the other side. Exactly. But, but that's great news yeah. that uh, we're, we have a positive attitude to move forward. It's great. Fantastic.
Well, Archbishop, before we close today, I uh, wanted to ask, of course, is there any prayer intentions on your heart that you'd like to share with us and, and that our listeners could be praying for you? Yes. Uh, in these days, I'm doing a final scrutiny examination of the uh, seminary deacons who are being called to the priesthood and uh, pray for uh, the priests who will, the deacons who will soon be ordained priests. Very good. We'll keep that in mind for sure. And Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind, would you please uh, close us with a prayer and a blessing? Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for all of your many good gifts. We thank you for knowledge and life in your Son, Jesus Christ, a life that will last forever. Help us to share the good news of Christ with all we meet. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Archbishop. Great speaking with you again. Always great to be with you, Mike and Mary. Thanks. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.